Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Shalom Yudim, Shalom Lebedei Noach, Shalom Goyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Kaftalas Bechodesh Shvat, Parashas Meshbotim Tavshin Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 25 January 2022. You're listening to the program program, webcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from the most racist society in the United Nations Organization, according to the United Nations Organization, with its record of scores of thousands of anti-Israel votes. And now they're fixing to smear Israel again with this lie of apartheid, which is not only a lie, but the truth turned upside down. Israel is the least racially conscious society in the world. In this edition of Phantom Nation, we will cover the essential, if covert, anti-Semitism of the two-state solution, so-called, and the related drive at all times to brand the Jews as racists managing a system of apartheid, And never mind that system, apartheid, was about skin color, and Israel has no such laws. In effect, those who call Israel an apartheid society are either shamelessly ignorant or slaves of humanity's age-old need to hate the Jews and justify the hatred by accusing us of devilry against the rest of humanity. Anti-Jews accuse us of aggressing against the rest of mankind, which justifies their violent hatred and behavior to us. In history, Christians accused every Jew who ever lived of being guilty of murder. And not just ordinary murder, but the killing of God himself. Muslims likewise accepted uh, the Jews as murderers of Jesus, if not Jesus the Christ, because Muslims say he was not the Christ and he was not God himself, but just another prophet in a line of Jewish prophets leading up to the greatest and final prophet of all, Muhammad, the opposite of peace be upon him. Muslims also accused a Jewess of murdering Muhammad. Uh, She was captured uh, when Muhammad uh, decapitated hundreds of uh, Jews. She was enslaved, set to cooking, poisoned Muhammad, and killed him as they had killed Jesus. And as we said, we will also consider the literal insanity, the delusion of Jews being racists, when in truth we are arguably the least conscious of race nation in the world. Consider the irony of Adolf Hitler Machimo hating the chosen people as the enemies of the Germans, who were the master race, because Jews, he said, were a mongrel people who didn't care about the purity of the blood, didn't care about race. Today we have gone from that to being the most racist people on the planet. Just ask the UN General Assembly. And we'll get started after the following message or messages from Israel News Talk Radio. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. (music) 
Shalom Yehudim, Shalom Lebenei Noach, Shalom Egoyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Kafdalis Bechodesh Shvat, Parashas Mishpotim, Tav Shen Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 25 January 2022. You're listening to the program program, webcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from the most racist member state in the United Nations Organization, according to the United Nations Organization. And the written record of votes against the world's only tiny Jewish state. And now they are fixing to smear Israel again with this lie, which is not only a lie, but the truth turned upside down and inside out. Israel is the least racially conscious society in the world. Unfortunately, Israel's uneducated and for that shallow foreign minister, Yir Lapid, who has proven himself to be utterly clueless about anti-Semitism, is currently trembling at the thought that the United Nations this year might brand Israel an apartheid state. Without any indication, he remembers, or at least knows of, the first time the Goyim there did that. Well, not exactly. Uh, in 1975, the vote 72 for 35 against 32 abstentions. That was a vote for Zionism as a form of racism and racial discrimination, Resolution 3379 of the General Assembly. Uh, that, this was the first, though, in a series of resolutions over the years in this spirit that began with the Arabs voting in the minority, then graduating to winning the plurality, and this was the first time they won the majority. In fairness to Lapid, he was only 12 years old in 1975, and I know myself at that age, I knew nothing of the world outside my own. As foreign minister, though, today, he should know that instead of crying that the sky is falling, he should remind people that this is not the first time the Goyim have done something like this. Uh, of course, Lapid would never call those people Goyim, for that would be too Jewish. Uh, alluding to these exclusivist Jews, the cliquish and clannish, and they cut everybody out. And that is connected to his ignorance of the world. He recently used the words venomous and radioactive to describe the fallout of a PA campaign this year to have the UN declare Israel an apartheid state. And uh, he urged the government that he's a member of to prevent this from happening by advancing the peace process, or words to that effect. Yair Lapid is a two-state Jew, like Benny Gantz, that human fossil of the once Zionist Israeli left. In yesterday's uh, ynetnews.com uh, edition, one Michael Harari opinionated, he's a think tankist, and he produced, I thought, a fine specimen of the mind and spirit of Jewish anti-Jews in our time, who, like anti-Jew Jews throughout history, side with our Gentile murderers, even though, like Harari, they do not portray themselves as that, and certainly would never admit to that. Harari is a fellow at the Mitvim Institute and a lecturer at the Max Stern Jezreel Valley College. And uh, he's an ally of those who support the Jew killer's demand that Israel retreat from the high ground taken in 1967. That is the two-state solution in a nutshell. The age-old folk wisdom, quote, to the victor go the spoils, has been rewritten in our time to, to the victor go the spoils, except for the Jews. They must return land they took in self-defense and return it to their enemies and give them a third opportunity after 1948-1967 to destroy their country, God forbid, to kill thousands of Jews and loot the wealth of the Jews uh, that they have created. 
That was their plan in 48 and in 67, but the Jews not only blocked the Jordanian army in 67, they pushed all of them into retreating across the Jordan River. Uh, when the Arab Legion, as it was called in 48, had illegally crossed that same river from the east bank to the west, which retreat in 1967 ended with Israel in control of all the land from the river to the sea, as envisioned by the League of Nations, with Israel never knowing since then how to uh, respond to that divine victory. Before the war, Israel was roughly, on average, 10 miles wide in its center. After the war, Israel had driven the Jordanians into retreating across the river, and ever since, Israel's center has been 50 miles wide across the river, uh, to the river, with the two-state solution cultists demanding that we turn back the clock to 67, really to 1949, because everyone now knows what they did not know in 49 or 1967. 67 Israel was applauded for its self-defense, and no decent civilized person demanded an immediate withdrawal. It took years really for the term OPT, the Occupied Palestinian Territories, to come into popular use. In June 1967, after the war, Israel was lauded by the civilized in Europe, and no one, uh, when the smoke cleared, demanded a state for any Palestinians. It would take three years before the first UN resolution referencing the Palestinians to appear. Today, though, it's settled wisdom on the left that Israel has no right to possess the West Bank. In the UN partition plan of 1947, the names used were Samaria and Judea. At the beginning of the Six-Day War, the New York Times itself used the term Western Bank of the Jordan River, the lowercase w, lowercase b, and the rest is history the history of the creation of this phantom nation. Israel's de-Judaized foreign minister also cited in his hysteria the creation of yet another committee we talked about a couple weeks ago uh, in the UN that is being created, and it's exclusively to benefit the Palestinians. Not the first, there's a bunch of them. Uh, this one will be granted a budget of $5.5 million and the hiring of 18 staffers to monitor the war crimes Israel never stops committing. One gets the impression that this ignoramus Lapid, when it comes to anti-Semitism, does not link that word to these events. He obviously segues in his mind from the prospect of a new slander, new declaration, to the absence of progress toward his preferred two-state solution. This is characteristic of the psychology of post-religious Jews, psychology being a word derived from the Greek word for soul, Absent a spiritual life and sensitivity to religious thought and feeling, Israelis like him think the cause of the hostility to, to Israel derives from the world's concern for the injustice done to the indigenous victims of Israel's resurrection. Hostility to the Jewish people, uh, we got news for Lapid, predates by millennia the Zionist movement. And it's not the Zionist movement that is responsible for the desire of these goyim to smear us as a racist culture which is truly, uh, that accusation by any clinical definition, insane. All one need do to disprove this slander uh, is to get on a plane, fly into Ben-Gurion Airport, pass through customs, into the reception area, and look at all the faces of those who come to fetch their friends and relatives. You will see every skin color, every hair texture, every shape of the eye there is. And uh, the reason for that is the diaspora. The dispersion during 18 centuries when Goyim with smarts converted and joined us. 
I think uh, Jewish agent, the Jewish agency has said Jews have come to live here from over 130 countries, and we look it because we marry one another. Ergo, it is insanity. It's a denial of reality to call this society uh, an apartheid society. Apartheid being rule according to skin color when there's no such law in the state of Israel. And another one of the characteristics of Israeli Jews like Lapid is never combating that charge, denying its validity. Instead, Israel responds by thinking of better treatment for the so-called Palestinians. Case in point, uh, the aforementioned think tankist Michael Harari, who exposed himself as a soulmate of, uh, for example, John Kerry, whose parting wisdom as Secretary of State on our future was that either we surrender to the Jew killers or be branded on our foreheads as racists running a criminal society of apartheid. Like Lapid, Kerry fears Israelis uh, being smeared as a racist society, but rather than shoot down that charge like an Iron Dome battery, uh, these think tankists uh, call for a new foreign policy toward the Palestinians. Um, Harari takes seriously the charge of apartheid applied to Israel instead of knowing that the Goyim have called us terrible names for thousands of years. Here, Lapid, uneducated buffoon of a shallow foreign minister, recently hysterically warned the people of Israel that the UN is itching to condemn us with the word apartheid, when what official Israel needs to do is shrug and ask, so what else is new? It won't be the first time the Goyim call us names. But again, Prince of Secular Israel, Lapid, and his community would never use the word goyim, would they?
everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show. Pull up a chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. So uh, we left off with the think tankist Michael Harari sounding exactly like John Kerry and Jimmy Carter and legions of other anti-Jews who bemoan the lack of civil rights for Palestinians. And they cringe that Israel has two separate legal systems uh, for Jews and the allegedly ancient indigenous victims of Zionism. And never mind that when Douglas MacArthur in 1945 led U.S. forces into Japan to occupy it and dictate to the Japanese for a decade. They used two separate systems for the Japanese and U.S. occupying forces. Likewise, Germany at the same time was occupied by the Allies in a full-blown dictatorship that lasted for a decade until eased a bit, but not completely, until 1968, 23 years after the war. The Allied forces still stationed in Germany there to defend against the Russians, but also to make sure the Germans did not get back into the Nazi business. Inside Germany, uh, they had the right to tap any German phone and open any piece of German mail. Uh, There is no crime in having two separate legal systems in Judea and Samaria, one for Jews and one for this violent community of anti-Semitic enemy Gentiles. Harari's think tank is called the Nitvim Institute, whose homepages advertise their mission, which is to, quote, improve Israel's foreign policy, promote Israel's regional belonging in the Middle East, and advance Israeli-Palestinian peace. Mitvim promotes a pro-peace, multi-regional, internationalist, modern, and inclusive approach to Israel's foreign policy. Mitvim generates new progressive foreign policy knowledge. Mitvim calls for a paradigm shift in Israel's foreign policy and advances a new progressive foreign policy approach that is pro-peace, multi-regional, internationalist, modern, and inclusive, close quote. This sounds like the title of Benjamin Netanyahu's book, A Place Among the Nations. Mitvim stresses that the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is vital for Israel's foreign policy and national security, close quote. And there you have it. Those who configure the violence here as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict are the enemies of Israel, whether they know it or not. For a biblical generation of four decades, from the 1920s to the 1960s, the leader of the Arabs in Eretz Yisrael, Hajimin al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti, the Grand Henchman of Hitler on his payroll, said there was no such country as Philistine. And he was absolutely right. Never in Islamic history... For over 12 centuries here, was there ever an area called Philistine by Muslims, as they use that name today? It never happened. The Quran says nothing of a country called Philistine. Those who see an Israeli-Palestinian conflict are, wittingly or not, members of the anti-Jew moral equivalence brigade. My book makes plain that when what was called the Arab-Israeli conflict morphed, into the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, this was the great victory of world anti-Jewry that too many post-religious Jews in Israel and the exile have been suckered into. What moves and drives and motivates our enemies here is Islam, 
for there's nothing in the history of a Palestinian nation and its exploits to inspire these patriots to their patriotic efforts. There is no, in Muslim, Arab, Palestinian history, a remember the Alamo or remember the Maine or I regret I have but one life to give for my country. All these people have is Islam, and it's always been Islam, that has sabotaged every peace plan calling for another state for Arabs here, this one west of the Jordan. Everyone has been rejected because everyone included the existence of a Jewish state next door to it. It's the existence of a Jewish state within any boundaries that accounts for the repeating no. The first rejection came in 1937 after the Appeal Commission when Hajimin ruled the roost here and every plan since then has been rejected for the same reason. Hajimin's rejection had nothing to do with a Palestinian nation entitled to its own state. Hajimin was happy in 1920 to drive up to Damascus to attend the coronation of Faisal of the Hejaz as king of Syria, whose capital has always been Damascus, a country in which Jerusalem was never the capital of anything but a neglected, dirty relic of a medieval ruin whose very decrepit state was proof of the Jews having lost their special covenant with God. It was in the interest of Islam to maintain Jerusalem as a slum. The Arab-Israeli conflict in the 1950s and 60s was rightly perceived at the time by the world as the drive-by 650,000 Jews to declare their independence as a state, which declaration was resisted by the surrounding 30 million Arabs. Israel did not invade or attack any other state. Israel was the one attacked, invaded by a half-dozen Arab armies. The Jews fought heroically, threw back the attackers, and kept some land beyond the lines of the 1947 UN map. And that was the relationship for the next two decades, when the Arab-Israeli conflict was reflected in that very construct, in a name that places the Arabs in the first position, the Arabs being the far larger player in population, in men in uniform, military equipment, and air force, versus Israel, in the second position for being the much weaker target of the Arabs. But then the relationship flip-flopped after 1967. The Palestinians were invented, and this uh, new political community uh, was born, and so the violence was rebranded, quote, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, in which Israel takes first place for being the dominant bully against the poor, poor, putatively weak Palestinians. What the flip-flop also did was Photoshop out of the conflict the true relationship the continuing relationship between Israel and all the dozens of Arab and Muslim states surrounding Israel on three sides. The Palestinian Liberation Organization that took center stage with the invention was a loose association of terror cult gangs backed by recognized Arab and Muslim states. They were in effect fronts. The Arab League of States as a whole thus became a criminal enterprise for backing international terrorism, backing Arabs attacking airplanes in Europe, in America, Africa, shooting up air terminals in Rome, Vienna, Tel Aviv. And now the two-state solution is no less verbal camouflage for an age-old hostility to Jews and an urge to kill us and loot our property. The Arabs hunger for Judea and Samaria. And leftist Jews, like think tankist Michael Harari, think it would be a good idea to, to turn Judea and Samaria over to them and what will surely happen then is what happened in Gaza. The Muslim Brotherhood will take over. Michael Harari thinks that surrendering this land to the enemy 
would be a good idea, much better than having the goyim at the UN, again, a word he would never use, uh, having them call Israel an apartheid society. The advocates of the two-state solution are nothing less, if they're Jews, than traitors for supporting the idea that Muslims are the rightful owners of Judea and Samaria. It was uh, Churchill, I think, who said, quote, a liberal is someone who in an argument cannot take his own side, which I say is a variant of Hillel, the great Hillel, who said, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? Harari has to know that the conflict here is between Jews, who cherish their freedom and independence after 14 centuries of abuse by the Arabs, and Arab Muslims who refuse to let us have our freedom. Also underneath the rubric of betrayal, it's typical of the two-state solutionists, never ever to hint at what the two-state solution might mean in practice on the ground. All they ever do is squawk about the uh, oppression of the Palestinians that can only be remedied by creating a state for them, but at that point, their thoughts freeze. They don't go any further. What never appears in any essay like this is any plan that takes into account the fate of a half a million Jews who at the moment live in Judea and Samaria and have every legal and moral right to continue living here. What is at work here among the two staters is a kind of repressed fantasy in their unconscious of an age-old behavior of driving Jews from their homes, millions of them, in the big expulsions from England in the year 1290, from France in 1390, from Spain in 1492, but lots of lesser-known expulsions from provinces and fiefs and cities. The Arabs on the day of the handshake on the White House lawn in 1993 said there will be no peace until every Israeli settler leaves uh, Judea and Samaria, what they call the West Bank. I say, okay, and I ask, where will we go? In 2005, 10,000 Jews in Gaza were driven from their homes on a specific day. Will there be another specific day for a half million of us to clear out? And where will we go? Presumably into refugee camps? And where will they be located? And who's going to pay for all of this? We also know from the Gaza evacuation and abomination in 2005, half of those families that were evicted did not survive. Uh, not only did they lose their physical homes, but in many cases their livelihoods. The disruption led to conflict, unhappiness in the families. Uh, that broke apart. The kids fell into drug use. What the two-state cultists want is a profoundly anti-Semitic fantasy.
Shalom. I'm Leah Aharoni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. Yes, indeedy. When a two-stater like think tankist Harari sees his dream come true, this will return to the enemy Arabs, uh, the outskirts of Ben-Gurion Airport. All they will then have to do to cripple Israel's international commerce, its principal gateway to the rest of the world, is to lob a mortar shell or two onto an empty runway. That does no damage even, but still this would prompt the underwriters who insure the airlines to jack up their premiums to impossible rates, as Ben-Gurion Airport is classified a war zone. The covert jihadi President Obama did that in an earlier round of missiles out of Gaza, you may remember, until protest made him back down. This is why the two-state dreamers never lay out a plan for relocating all of us Jews. I believe that at some level of buried consciousness, the two-staters know this, which makes of their support in print an act of narcissistic exposure and a need to expose in public one's distance from one's people and one's decision to side with Israel's mortal enemies. Israel could not survive withdrawing from Judea and Samaria. Every sober person here knows this. So what is the point of bashing Israel with the threat of being called a racist apartheid society? Or perhaps these dreamers seriously imagine that the 500,000 Jews could decide to remain in their homes. They'd be allowed to do that and become loyal citizens of the new state of ancient Philistia and learn to sing the Palestinian national anthem. The two-state solution has no foothold in reality. It's an impossibility, and for that, Israel has to face the inevitability of declaring sovereignty over all the land west of the Jordan, just as the League of Nations in 1922 authorized. And no less important, Israel needs to have fresh wisdom, finally, to treat the Muslims here properly, which cannot include giving them citizenship. The very idea of doing that is, is glut kosher anti-Semitism for its inhumanity. These people have been murdering us for the entire length of our return and for 14 centuries on a larger scale, and we are under no obligation to embrace them as equals. They are the enemy, and there are humane alternatives to giving them citizenship. This would also require a uh, born-again attitude in Israel toward their violence against us, a rejection of the bromides and cliches of a Western liberal democracy in which one's religion plays no role in citizenship in the public square. We are surrounded by some 550 million mostly Muslims who live in states that are officially Muslim, and Israel must learn from this and pass similar legislation here that treats Jews one way and non-Jews another way. Let me amend that. I would also join to the Jews, the Druze, and the Christians who are capable of civilized, friendly behavior. In practice, this would produce special laws just for Muslims in this officially Jewish state, which has as a template for that Islam itself. From the beginning of Islam, Muslim powers treated the Jews and others as their dhimmi, a special class 
of protected infidels, protected from the rabble, who are not allowed to seriously abuse them, only in minor ways, because the Muslim despots needed their skills. Dhimma in Arabic means defense or protection, and we Jews should also have the right to treat the Muslims here differently, and especially because Islam is plainly a form of anti-Semitism, a religion inherently hateful toward Jews. Just read the Quran. Uh, read the history of the Jews living in Islam. If you have access to the Jewish Encyclopedia, which is over a century old now, I think, or the Encyclopedia Judaica produced in Israel, in English, one can find entries on all the Muslim countries, and in every one of them you will find a record of historic persecutions. Maybe you saw how a week ago the airport in Abu Dhabi, the capital of the United Arab Emirates, was bombed by drones launched by the Houthis in Yemen that killed two Indian and uh, two Indians and a Pakistani guest worker. The Houthis are a tribe of Zaidi Muslims, an offshoot of the Shiites, whose imams until the 1960s had ruled Yemen for a thousand years. Uh, today they are backed by fellow Shiite Iran. In the 1990s, this uh, sect rose up against the Sunni. Uh, guys in control, and uh, they are the usual Muslim fanatics backed by Iran in its endemic hostility to the Sunni Saudis. A couple of days ago, or a couple of days after, rather, in retaliation for that drone attack, the Saudis and the Emirates bombed Yemen's capital of Sana, killing 82 people and wounding another 132 presumably Houthis, who today, I think, just this very day, struck again the UAE, this is nothing but Iran once again using proxies to attack its enemies. It's always doing that. In 1983, Iran used Lebanese Muslims to assassinate some 241 American servicemen and some 80 French soldiers in Beirut via suicide bombings. Hezbollah is nothing but a tentacle of Iran. As Russia's Putin wants to reassemble the old Soviet empire, so Iran wants to be the new Persian empire all over the Middle East with the same Islamic faith as these Houthis, whose creed is the following and instructive. The creed of the Houthis is this, Allahu Akbar, death to America, death to Israel, curse on the Jews, victory to Islam. Notice the double attack against the Jews. And that's because Islam is basically anti-Jewism. And although mainstream Mainstream Israel does not like to face this truth. This creed could be that of the so-called Palestinians, a phantom nation displaying none of the features of a nation, having its own language, its own national dress, its own cuisine, its own religion or religious sect. None of that exists for these people. And the current leadership is currently lobbying, uh, that is the so-called Palestinian leadership, for the holy verbal activity of condemning Israel as an apartheid state. This is a non-material effort. This is as important as anything, to smear Israel with apartheid. Just the very word. It's this behavior that characterizes the Palestinian nation more than anything else. The truth of history is that if the Arabs here had wanted their own state, they would have accepted some plan instead of spurning every offer because everyone contained the existence of the Jewish state. There's is a wholly negative endgame. Not to build a state for themselves, but to destroy the state of the Jews. And the root cause for this drive predates Zionism by a thousand years. Islam is the enemy, not Palestinians, and it's time for Israel to rebrand the violence here 
and shine a light on centuries of persecution at Muslim hands. They call us racist, fascist, imperialists. We must call them Jew-hating totalitarians, who are the real colonists here, agents of the Arab Muslim Empire. Israel might publicly uh, cite the practice of Muslims throughout their history of having one set of laws for believers and another set for infidels, for non-believers. In fact, under the Turks, it was called the millet system in which one's religious identification was a factor in one's life. Uh, why not an Israel in which the official religion is Judaism and non-Jews with laws specifically applicable to Muslims, which should include the unique punishment for any violence against a Jew of expulsion? Israel might classify all Muslims like the Jews were classified as dhimmi, a community with special laws just for them, in which violence against a Jew will result in immediate expulsion from the country. The way to deal with these stone-throwing Ishmael clones is to give them that punishment uh, that their forebear Ishmael received from his father, our father, Avraham, who expelled Ishmael from his home for his violent tendencies. He was expelled to the desert of Paran. Okay, that's it for this uh, edition of Phantom Nation, generously sponsored by Floridians for the Safety and Security of Israel Institute that has generously agreed to extend this podcast to next week and beyond. The music you heard was played by Yehuda Glantz and uh, Simply Tzfat, and we conclude, as usual, with Yosef Karduner. For the full story of how the Muslims invented the Palestinians, buy my book, Phantom Nation, in hardcover or Amazon Kindle. <laughs> it's a long book, but many say once you start reading it, it's hard to put down because it's the best, most truthful and insightful book ever on the war against Israel. Three other podcasts like this one are also available each week via subscription at www.phantom-nation.com. So Lila Tove from the OJT, the Occupied Jewish Territories, occupied by the most anti-Semitic and homicidal people, Muslims, in the world today. Thank <laughs> you.
If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 